Good afternoon, Seven Investors, and welcome to the Monday edition of Seven Investing Now. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks Klein. I'm joining you from beautiful and sunny West Palm Beach, Florida. While Steve Symington is joining me, I'm going to assume from the third circle of hell. Steve, you shared with me a weather graphic yesterday. You, you are helping your mother-in-law move in, I want to say, Arizona, and it was 115 yeah. degrees. Is it safe yeah. to be outside at 115 degrees? Probably not, but we were unloading a U-Haul in that weather, so it was a good time. It was. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say the, the circles of hell. I would say maybe surface of the sun. That would be more appropriate. But yeah, that's what it feels like from a guy from Montana. Yeah, if my mother-in-law is watching, and given that she doesn't have an internet connection, that's that's very unlikely. <laughs> I'm not helping you move in 115 degree weather. I, I'm just just going on the record. My mom could be watching. Uh, you know, you know, may, maybe I'd help mom, but but I'm gonna draw the line on that. And Steve, you took your family to the Grand Canyon. Uh, I'm gonna one up you in a couple weeks, going to the little known Venti Canyon. Uh, but did the kids <laughs> like the Grand Canyon? Uh, yes question mark i mean they 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 i think appreciate it it's good that they saw it but there was there was more complaining than i think we would have liked but uh they'd also just you know been on 20 plus hours of driving leading up to that so uh they they did good and and we went on a couple great hikes and, and had cooling towels and water and all that stuff and and ice cream so so that helps yeah and the wi-fi at the grand canyon is terrible the theme park rides aren't that great <laughs> it's uh it is not an attraction for the current generation. That being said, why don't you share with us in the questions and comments where you're going this summer, where you're li- where you'd like to go. As many of you know, I am hopefully headed out on a cruise July 2nd, uh, which would be the first time that has happened from the US uh, in a very long time. First time since me, since a year ago, February. So, so two Super Bowls ago was the last time I did that. But if you're watching, you want to share where you're going, we would love to have that. But that's not our lead topic today. Our lead topic today is how to invest in the changing nature of work. Steve, as you know, uh, the pandemic sent a lot of people home. A lot of offices closed. Uh, a lot of people yeah. haven't figured out what normal looks like. I've talked about my wife and I moved so we could have the space to both be working at home uh, and, and I wouldn't yeah. have to go to an office. There were a lot of challenges here. But before we get into the investing part of this, I want to set the table a little bit. I, I thought we might want to talk about the work world uh, and what it will look like over the next year. So I'm going to throw some things out I believe are true and you can give me your thoughts. First one is most companies will allow more work from home flexibility. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's true. And I think part of the reason that's true is that, that the power dynamic has kind of shifted toward the workforce uh, and, and the actual laborers, uh, at least for sort of knowledge-based, you know, stuff that you can do remotely anyway. And uh, I think that's something that is, uh, it, it's it's tricky because you do have uh, several chief executives who are, are saying, you know, um, yeah, I think we, we had the, the Morgan Stanley CEO and Bank of America CEO uh, both saying they expect workers to return uh, who are currently doing remote work uh, kind of once once they're vaccinated. Uh, and uh, that's, I, I think, maybe a tough dynamic given the, 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 the workplace and, and how it's evolving in favor of people who hope to work from home. So, yeah, I, I think 
there's going to be a bit of a struggle. I think it's fair to say that even those companies are going to be more open to, hey, I have the sniffles. I'm going to work from home today. I have a doctor's appointment. It's dumb to commute into the city and then leave early or however it works. So I do think that aspect is going to change. We're going to talk about Mm -hmm. the investable part of that in a minute. Um, But let me share uh, my thought number two here. Some offices, some companies will not require people to come back, but they will maintain their offices. So I would argue that a company that does that, and a lot of employers are saying, hey, we still have an office. Uh, you can yeah. come in. You don't have to. I actually think the people that choose to not be a presence in the office are going to hurt their careers. Your thoughts on that, Steve? Yeah, that's that's kind of the worry, right? And, and actually, I've seen several articles in, in recent days, including one from the Wall Street Journal, like how to answer this, the, the how do you feel about working from home question during an interview, right? And, and that's sort of becoming a very real thing for a lot of people, because a lot of people do want to have, again, the, the power dynamic is shifting toward employees who kind of have the power to negotiate terms that will kind of work well for both parties. And uh, people are kind of thinking about how to answer that. And uh, I, I think... Um, it, there is a very real possibility. That's the big worry is that if someone says, I'd love to work from home instead of coming to the office, they say, well, we'll go with this person who doesn't want to. And uh, you're going to see some some strange power plays by people uh, who maybe use that as a, as a strength. It's like, do you want to work from home? Nope. All, all office, uh, you're hired kind of thing. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in FaceTime. Uh, you know, at, at our former employer, I made yeah. myself a presence in the office Um, And it got me noticed. It got me appearances on podcasts I might not have have scored otherwise. It got me FaceTime with the CEO and and sort of asked on to projects or invited into meetings. You know, I I, I was in the office during a snowstorm and got to appear on, on a really big show otherwise, did a good job with it, and then became a regular. So I'm not saying it's impossible in the new world where you know, maybe days I'd be in the office, well, nobody else would be there. So it wouldn't matter as much. Uh, But I think at a lot of companies that, you know, especially big tech, where, yeah, a lot of people can do jobs uh, from from home, from remote, but you might be stalling out your ability. And sometimes that ability is just dumb luck where someone more important than you is struggling at the end of the day, and you jump in and help and you've made a good impression. Not impossible to do that from home, but not easy. I'm going to throw one more out. Larger companies will add physical space in more locations. So I used to work for Microsoft. And at the time, I had to download the latest Windows 8 uh, through the employee server. And what I used to do living in Connecticut is I didn't actually have access to the office there. It was a sales office. Um, But I would park outside the office close enough so I could get on the server and I would download what I needed to download. I I think more companies are going to just create sort of gathering spots for employees, sort of like company specific co-working does that does that sound yeah. insane steve no that doesn't sound insane uh, especially given sort of the advent of of higher powered uh internet connections and and uh you know, hyper converged infrastructure plays where uh you have a lot more cloud capability the ability to effectively serve employees at remote locations and and i think uh sooner or later you're you're gonna be able to say gone are the days of massive campuses uh, where you work and and some people will still favor that and there's some there are perks to that uh, but you know I remember interviewing at Microsoft out of college I was a, a computer science guy and I was kind of overwhelmed by the size of their campus in Seattle and uh, it was crazy it's its own little city I think as many people working there as I had in my entire town but uh, yeah I think it makes a lot more sense to have uh, smaller office spaces. Um, 
pretty there's much anywhere a lot, you need them. There's a lot of benefit to the campus structure. So I, I was an out-of-office worker on a team that at times was all in the office. And at times they vacillated to having us not all in the office. So I think it can work both ways. It absolutely helped create bonds with my team that I spent time physically in the office and look, having dinners. And I do think you have to, as a big company, balance that. We're gonna get to the investing part of this in a second, but but let me throw out one last corollary here. I don't think you're going to see yeah. big companies abandon New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Um, but I do think you're going to see companies like that have a big presence in, let's call it Austin, Texas, Miami, maybe even here in West Palm Beach where we're building yep. world, world-class facilities. Because if you've lived in New York, Miami seems cheap, even though it's, it's not cheap compared to most places. I think yeah. you're going to see a lot of geographic diversity. Steve, do you agree on this one? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. And, uh, and again, that you know, kind of speaks to, uh, I think you can move to cities that are less expensive, uh, but still, you know, considerably more expensive than, than little rural towns and, and such. But uh, yeah, I think there's the, the economic driver, not only that, but, but just geographic expansion as well. We're going to get to the investing angle here. We'd love your questions and comments. It has been a quiet summer for people watching 7investing now, though a ton of you contributed to the second part of this program where we're going to talk about investing advice we've shared with our kids. We had, we had a couple thousand people interact with that post on Twitter uh, and lots of good advice was shared. But Steve, I'm going to throw out some things and you can sort of explain why the trends have benefited them. And I'll jump in as necessary because some of these are, are more sure. companies in my space than yours. The first one is uh, the changes have been really good for electronics retailers. The obvious yeah. one is Best Buy. Um, because here's what happened. I'll, I'll give my house, and then Steve, you could explain the, the greater trend. The pandemic started. My wife broke her work laptop. I had to quickly set up another computer for her. My son dropped his school laptop. I had to buy a laptop for him. We needed backup, so I, I had to go out and buy some inexpensive desktops just so we could have some options. I started needing to be able to work in all sorts of places, so I went out, yeah. and in addition to my two MacBooks, uh, bought an iMac. Uh, we bought two desks multiple other things that we probably wouldn't have needed before the mm -hmm. pandemic. This has been really good for Best Buy, among others. Yeah, yeah. And uh, part of that is, and I think it's, it's it, you may see a bit of a dip from the initial sort of work from home uh, surge that we had uh, during the pandemic. But I think um, because of the fact that a lot of this is going to be sustained, uh, at least to some degree, you're going to have more work from home people. Uh, going forward, I think this is definitely good for for retailers like Best Buy. Um, you know, not only from the products that they sell, but the services that they offer as well. You know, they've got the whole Geek Squad thing, and uh, I actually <laughs> drove the Geek Squad bug for four years in college. That's how I paid my bills. Uh, so I was <laughs> that guy uh, who'd come into your house and and you know fix your your computer and remove, remove viruses and all that stuff. But uh, as more people are working from home, you're going to have more demand. Um, you know, for for I people, and some of that supplemented by the companies themselves as well. Yeah, I actually think the Geek Squad is going to become the IT department for a lot of companies. It's when, when I used to work for Microsoft, if my laptop broke, I had to drive into New York from Connecticut, go to the office in Manhattan uh, and, and get it repaired. And if, if it had to be dropped off and there wasn't a loaner available, that was a real nightmare. I think yeah. you're going to see some big companies contract with, with Best Buy. Now, Best Buy is very high priced for those services. So I think they are going to have to offer institutional rates. But yeah. that's a company that was doing very well 
that the trends we're leaning into because of the pandemic benefit their future growth. Best Buy is also benefited by the aging sure. of the population and some of the thing, investments they've made in health. So this seems like a mature company. I'd argue from an investment mm -hmm. uh, standpoint, there is a lot of room for this to run. Two others I'm gonna throw out, Steve, are Microsoft and Alphabet. Th these are both companies okay. that offer a suite of products. So you could use the Office family of products within your company. You could use the inferior but much cheaper Google family of products uh, you know, as we do. And it's one of those things where more and more people are going to be in this simply because it's easy. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Microsoft and Alphabet benefit not only uh, from their, their, their team software availability, but also uh, the, the rise of cloud computing and enterprise computing. And uh, they, they have um, massive um, computing infrastructure supporting their cloud businesses. So I think that's a, a very big thing for them. Mostly. Yeah, and this is something few other companies can can scale up. So, you know, it's yeah. why we saw, say, the Salesforce purchase of Slack. Slack makes mm -hmm. a lot more sense as a tool in the Salesforce arsenal than it does on its own. I'd argue yeah. the same might be true of Zoom. I'm not a fan of, of Microsoft Teams. Uh, I liked its predecessor, Link, uh, because Zoom didn't exist. But the only time I ever had meetings in Microsoft Teams were when they were meetings with Microsoft. Um, yeah. And I don't think it works as well. That being said, I'm not sure the average institutional customer cares that much. And yes, you're gonna have plenty of companies use Office or use Google that opt to use Zoom instead of, of Google Meet or Teams or whatever it is. But I do think there's a massive advantage in, in scale. And it's obviously something that Apple on a certain level can do as well. Um, yeah. So I think those companies are going to be big investment winners. Steve, you cover the the uh, internet security space. Do you think there's going to sure. be any big winners there? Uh, there'll, there'll be a bunch of big winners there, and, uh, and and not necessarily from you know your pure play security standpoint. I mean, obviously you have your your crowd strikes out there and, and uh, Zscalers and Cloudflare and, and uh, those kinds of businesses, but also companies uh, like uh, when we're talking about Okta, you know, for example, or Ping Identity. Uh, are both sort of like uh, single sign-on and multi-factor authentication companies, uh, but also companies like DocuSign, um, for example, who, you know, basically you need um, someone to be able to sign contracts and make agreements uh, through this agreement process, and you need it to be legally binding, and you need to have a secure process in the place for that as well. So uh, I think uh, all of those companies are going to win big, uh, and they, they won't by any means be uh, the only ones. So I think you're going to have scores. Of, uh, of really, really big cybersecurity plays because cybersecurity is, it's, it's been important in the last decade, obviously, but it's only um, reaching a fever pitch. And I think it will get uh, even more important than anyone could, could really anticipate. Look for quality here. Look for strong mm -hmm. management. Look for strong infrastructure. There's going to be a lot of companies that have a good quarter or two uh, because sure. there is an increasing focus on this coming out of the pandemic. But yeah. you really do want to avoid owning the third best player in the, in the space for a lot of these. This isn't gonna quite be winner take all, but there's not gonna be 50 winners. Like we're gonna see mm -hmm. some level of, of, I don't know what the word is, samification uh, when it comes yeah. to security solutions. Uh, let's throw out one that I don't think people are thinking about here uh, and feel free to jump in with your questions and comments. Steve, do you think the post pandemic work from home world will be bad for car manufacturers? I'll share a personal example. Uh, my, yeah. my son will get his license at some point next year. 
Um, and for a long time, we'd assumed that meant getting a third car because we want him to drive to school because he has to take a very, very early bus in the morning. He li- we live about, sure. uh, I don't know, about 18 minutes from his school. It's a relatively easy ride on the highway. And we'd always assumed we'd get another car. But the reality is my wife's only returning to the office two days a week. I travel a lot, but I don't have any need for a car on a, on a day I'm not yeah. traveling. I can walk to Starbucks. I can I can walk to Target. I can walk to, to, to a few other places if I want to. Obviously, there's food delivery and grocery delivery and, hey, alcohol delivery if you're having a bad yeah. day. Um, so I don't think we will get a third car. Do you think some families will even opt for a, just going down to one? Um, some will. I don't think that will be uh, necessarily the rule. I mean, for, for example, my wife and I have uh, both worked from home for several years. And, uh, you know, we still require a second vehicle. We'll get one for, for each of our kids as they, you know, I've got a 13 year old and a 10 year old. It's not going to be long. Uh, but I, I don't, I, I think more than work from home being bad for car manufacturers, uh, I think that innovative car manufacturers will be bad for legacy car manufacturers. Maybe I'd put it that way. You know, so we have companies like Tesla that are, you know, working on sort of robo taxi fleets in the distant future, obviously. But, uh, you know, I think that's going to be something uh, where the dynamics of the industry just change and you have more car sharing uh, and and the right manufacturers who are kind of set up for that um, will be the ones who, who kind of benefit. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch the dynamics of, of transportation change in the coming years. But uh, I don't think work from home will be necessarily bad for it. I actually sort of do, but but I think it's sort of leaning into those trends that you're talking yeah. about. That uh, right now, it's hard to look at the car industry because we have a shortage of cars yeah. due to chips. Cars are selling very expensive. I know that uh, at, at our vacation place, people planning visits from Canada and England are seeing rental cars for, for a, a week at what they used to spend for a month. And it's literally causing yeah. the resort to think about, should we have shuttle transportation or, or figure something out? You know, even ideas mm-hmm. like, should we just buy a few cars and, and, and insure them and let people lease them? And obviously that's not you know, an easy decision for an HOA to do at, at, at this day and age. But mm-hmm. I do think some things that maybe would have taken four or five years to develop like uh, you know, car sharing and people being more willing to take an Uber or a Lyft. I think we're going to see some accelerations. Now, my generation, your generation, we're not that different in age. We're, we've been pretty open, yeah. adopted to ride sharing. So, you know, someone like our parents' generation, like my mother will get an Uber if I call it, but I, I doubt she has the Uber app on her phone. Uh, yeah. As people of those generations start to travel and renting a car becomes less viable, I think we're going to see some forced adoption and that will accelerate and change some trends. It's not a public company, but I think you yeah. might see like Turo, which is a company that lets you put your own car into kind of a rental pool. Like, hey, I'm going to be away for a month. Uh, yeah, I'll make some money with someone renting my car. I think you might see some solutions like that that make car ownership more affordable. That's the last thing in the world I want to do. I've seen how people treat rental cars. I don't want to see yeah. people treat my car that way. Steve, your final sure. thoughts on this topic. Yeah, and, and to be clear, uh, I'm not a and I, I've never been a big fan of the unit economics of Uber and Lyft. You know, I, I don't view them as investable companies personally. Uh, I could be proven wrong and, and that would be fine uh, by me, but uh, I, I really <laughs> don't like their economics and I'd much rather put my money to work elsewhere. But uh, even if they do increase, that's it's kind of a tough, I, tough sell I, for me. 
I am a hundred percent convinced that one of those companies has to collapse for the other one to succeed. Uh, and I actually think it's possible that they both get disrupted by whether it be Tesla or one of the automakers uh, sort of having a go direct uh, fleet mode. Uh, my mother chimes in. Uh, you can say, share that one, Sam. Uh, and she says, no, she actually does have the, the Uber app. So I, so I, I have to admit <laughs> I'm surprised, uh, but, but, but she does. Uh, and thank you for watching, Mom. I'm going to throw out one more thing that I don't think is investable, but I think as an investor in some of these companies, you need to be wary of it. I think you're going to see restaurant closures uh, at a faster pace based on shifting populations. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll give a real life example. Um, you know, I used to work someplace that had an awful lot of, uh, of people in the office and so did many of the, the other companies in that building, all in the tech space, more or less. And I would imagine that most of those companies are not going to require people. I have no knowledge of what the rules are, uh, but most of those companies are not going to require everyone to be in the office. So are there going to need to be a Panera Bread, a Starbucks, a Dunkin' Donuts, uh, a Potbelly Sandwich? All, all the places that are there may not be supported. Now, yeah. some of your advanced companies... Uh, you know, like Panera does a lot with catering, might have other ways to support themselves, but right. this isn't a failing business. This is the normal thing that these chains do. You know, McDonald's will will shake up its inventory by by a couple dozen stores every few years, since simply because people moved away from population centers. You're going to see yeah. with this sort of shift to rural of hey that. You know, my town of Swampscott, Massachusetts, where I grew up, which is three square miles, has two Dunkin' Donuts. I think technically they're over the line in Salem, Mass. But there are two Dunkin' Donuts across the street from each other because the big one, the parking lot would get full and people go to the little one, which is a parking lot that has like a Staples <laughs> and a lot of other stuff. I think you're going to see that type of shakeout. Uh, Steve, your thoughts, and then we'll close out this topic. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, I, I think this is sort of the uh, the strong survive um kind of thing i think we're going to see um i think we're going to see a lot of uh underperforming restaurants you know those that aren't perfectly streamlined or that that don't serve absolutely exceptional food uh, and aren't a national chain right uh those are going to want be the ones that have a difficult time uh surviving and you know your chipotles and uh your your sort of extraordinarily popular concepts are going to be the ones uh that thrive on a national scale and you know, coupled with your your really great popular local options that aren't national chains, those will be the ones that, that survive. But you're going to have you know, kind of as it always has been, uh, the little guys uh, getting smashed. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, execution matters. Uh, it, when when mm -hmm. I was growing up, there were a lot of local donut shops in New England, and yeah. Dunkin' Donuts would essentially operate as close to them as possible. And my guess is they subsidized the franchisees. And what happened uh, near my family home uh, in Peterborough, New Hampshire, is there was a pretty good diner and donut shop in a plaza and a Dunkin' Donuts opened. And I don't think a single local went to the Dunkin' Donuts, but the passing by traffic, which was maybe 10, 15% of the business, all went to Dunkin' Donuts. And it slowly choked out 
the local place. So, you know, some of that is, boy, I'd like to see plazas be as protective of local shops as they are of national chains. A national chain can come in and say, you can't locate another one of these, uh, you know, near me. Uh, I, I know that, you know, the, the, the plaza closest to me that has a couple of national chains has gone out of its way to get permission when something similar is going to go in. And, uh, you know, th there was a, a couple of coffee chains there and Capital One Cafe yeah. came in. Capital One Cafe has a Pete's Coffee Shop inside and they weren't allowed certain signage and, and other rules. Now, they did a pretty smart thing is that they had free coffee for Capital One cardholders three mornings a week. So that is a yeah. really good promotion. We're going to take a comment here. The first one from Mike Fee, Sam, if, uh, if you want to grab that. Steve, if you wouldn't mind reading this one. It says, Hire Car is another company that allows owners to rent out their vehicles at a fixed day rate. It is growing quickly, but personally, I wouldn't rent out my own vehicle. And you touched on this a little bit. Uh, and, and that's something I think, you know, owners of, of Tesla's as they want to ramp their own robo taxi fleet, for example, uh, will have to grapple with is, is are we willing uh, to lend out our own vehicle and risk them in that way? Uh, and, and what sort of recourse do you have? So uh, I think it's ruined. Obviously, there's there's insurance. You know, I've learned a lot of this owning a rental property um, that mm -hmm. I have to have insurance that covers certain things. I have a maintenance program that covers certain things like if, if they break if a guest breaks my coffee maker. It's a standard coffee maker that the, the maintenance company just replaces and there's no cost to me. If I opt to leave a Keurig there, which I did because I own about 1,800 coffee machines, uh, and that breaks, well, that's on me. The person who's renting it has to take out a, a small insurance policy. I also have to maintain. So let's say someone slips and falls and dies in my shower. Well, I have liability on that, whereas the overall association has coverage on the outside. I've learned more about insurance in the last few weeks. Uh, and, I, and I think we're going to see that with, with, with cars. I think that's an right. area that's going to be really interesting with your, your roots of the world, with your lemonades of the world. If they get into those properties, it's actually pretty difficult to get a quote on my rental property, which is in Davenport, Florida, adjacent to Kissimmee in Orlando, the one place on earth you'd think there'd be, you know, that type of insurance coming out the roof because there's a tons of people. Uh, we're going to take a follow up from Mike because uh, I think it is a good one as well. And then we'll move on here. Uh, I, th I feel like the business park is more or less dead. Uh, a few large projects around me were recently canceled. I think you might be right. I think we're going to see a lot more mixed use. Um, it would not shock me to see, uh, or even the, the plaza I was just referring to, Rosemary Square here in West Palm Beach, where there is a giant Class A office building that's just gone up. Uh, to support that, we're starting to see a number of, of new restaurants open up. Uh, and they're actually building a residential tower. Not that there aren't already residences there, but you're, it, there's also what used to be a, a cool bowling alley, though it was poorly run, uh, is, is actually going to be a marketing company. So I think you're going to see this weird hybrid mix and your business parks might also have like trampoline parks and, and other things in it or destination restaurants or, or, or dine-in you know, movie theaters and that type of thing. So yes, Mike, I think you're right there. But Steve, it is now the middle of June. Something big happens at 7investing on July 8th. Mm. So I'm not great at math, but that's roughly 18 days from now. Here's what happens. Right now, if you're a member of 7investing, you are paying $17 a month or $170 a year. That is a tremendous, tremendous value. If you are a member already by the end of the day on July 7th, you get to pay those prices 
forever. So if you're not a member, you have less than three weeks to sign up to lock in the current pricing. Why is that important? That's important because on July 8th, our prices go up to $49 a month or $399 a year. There is also a special membership, an $84 membership for students. So if you have a .edu member, uh, email address or you're actively in school, uh, you can get that special membership. We want everyone to be involved. That being said, if you're watching this show, if you're already a member, share out your code. Steve, where do people find their referral code? Where not only can their friends get a deal on the already low price membership, but that member gets a free month. Where can they find that code? Right. If you're on someinvesting.com and you're logged in, there's a little My Account uh, interface that you can access just in the upper right-hand corner. Click My Account. And right there is your referral code. You can copy, paste whoever signs up and uh, creates a subscription using your code. We'll get 10 bucks off. You get a free month. There's no limit to the free months as well. So we have one member, I think, who has like what, 42, 43 free months or something. So we won't have to pay us a dime for another four years almost. So, so now is the time. Share your referral code, or if you're not a member, sign up and get a referral code. Mm-hmm. Lock in these prices. Sam Bailey, if you want to share, it is 7investing.com slash subscribe. That is how you join. That is how you become a member. If you don't do it, you're going to feel awfully silly on July 8th when you realize, wow, I still want to be a member. I still want access to their picks, all their in-depth analysis, all their members-only content, uh, where Steve might even be wearing his members-only jacket. You never know. Uh, There is a ton of value there. We're going to move on, though. Uh, And for the home stretch here, we're going to talk about what kind of investing advice will you pass on to your kids? I only have one kid. Uh, We would love your questions and comments, your investing advice as well. We're going to start with one from me to give Steve time to think about uh, what he says. Sam, if you want to share the one that I shared on social media, uh, the one I'm working on is figuring out what's a want and what's a need. That's really hard to explain to a 17-year-old. So Steve, you know with kids, I have a 17-year-old and he needs $220 sneakers. And I've pointed out, no, you want $220 sneakers. You need serviceable, comfortable sneakers that won't hurt your feet. And he's argued, well, you buy $200 sneakers. And I said, yes, I need them because I'm buying extra cushiony old man New Balance sneakers so my feet don't hurt while I walk. Those are two very, very different things. And it's a constant source of argument in my house. Uh, You know, we've been lucky that that we're reasonably well off. And it's, it's difficult to say no because of that, but mm-hmm. you want to set the standard of no, like, you know, you get a few bonuses and luxury items, but no, you don't need the new $60 video game when you have Xbox Game Pass, which gives you access to all sorts of games. Steve, what's sure. a piece of investing advice you've worked to pass on to your kids? Um, I think first and foremost is, is not to be intimidated by it. You know, it's, it should be, and it is, as open as ever. Uh, it's accessible to everybody. And, uh, you know, investing should not be a scary thing. Um, you know, they, I, I'm trying to drive it home that my kids are, you know, part, part owners in a business, I'll set up a custodial brokerage account for them and help them invest. But um, that's the big thing is, is don't, don't be intimidated. And, and I think maybe that could carry over to a lot of adults who haven't started investing yet either. But, uh, you know, I want my kids who, again, are, are 13, 10 and 6 to be investing from the now on. And uh, when they're adults, I, I hope they you know can go through and and uh, they've had enough practice where they can read a, a 10K or you know a, a quarterly filing or something and know what everything means. And uh, <clears throat> it's just 
you know, standard business and financial education. So uh, just not to be intimidated. It's not a scary thing. Yeah. And that speaks to the next comment uh, from our friend, David Strauss. Uh, Sam, <laughs> if you want to share that one. Uh, the fact that my kid age seven will get investing advice now puts her on a different level than most. My first advice didn't come until I was about 25. And at her age, my only advice so far is your age and time will make her wealthy beyond her current comprehension. Stay invested. Yeah. I've talked about that a lot with my son. My brother has demonstrated it with my son. My son has an Acorns account that my brother funded initially and puts a, a, a small but generous amount of money in every month that will turn over to my son like when he's like 25. And the amount of money in it would be like a down payment on a house. Maybe not if housing prices keep going in the direction they're going, uh, but, but, but certainly possibly. So it's one of those things where you have to talk about it. And I grew up in a family that, that invested but it wasn't really something we talked about. At some point, they, they introduced me to their broker uh, who later went to jail. Um, and I didn't really know that it was something you could direct yeah. yourself. And admittedly, the ability to direct your own investments got a lot easier over the last 15 years than it was when I was, was in my 20s. But it was still possible. Uh, and it's something schools don't teach. Uh, you know, People think of the stock market as risky. The stock market's risky if you don't get good advice and you don't have a long-term horizon. If you're chasing FOMO stocks, absolutely, the stock market is risky. If you're buying mm -hmm. Hertz because you hear people talk about it when they're in bankruptcy, yes, absolutely risky. Uh, let's throw up one from Kelly Burgess. Steve, I'll let you field this one. All right. She said, uh, Kelly, he says, start now, be patient, prioritize it, have on. Uh, yeah, uh, I actually wrote an, an advisor update, I, I think, um, about my thoughts on portfolio allocation. It was uh, uh, start small, be patient, stay flexible, you know, but uh, prioritize it, have fun. Uh, those are those are four uh, nice, succinct rules um, where if you start now, you make time on your side, you're patient, you actually allow compounding to do its work, you prioritize it. That means actually saving money and putting more in your brokerage account. Have fun again. Uh, that speaks to it not being intimidating. It's actually, you know, my favorite thing to do. <laughs> I, I love investing, and and uh, yeah, that's that's how I roll. So um, yeah, it, it's it's it's, it's something that comes up in my house. If if my son is is getting the new Xbox, uh, which he owns the new Xbox, or I own the new Xbox, uh, we've talked about how the hardware as a subscription model works and why it's good for mm -hmm. their bottom line and why it essentially yeah. means instead of them getting one payment from us, they're locking in a monthly payment. Uh, we haven't talked about the fact that our new Roomba, uh, who is affectionately named Roombob, uh, is, mm -hmm. is purchased that way. We pay every month and every three years, they're gonna send me the latest robot. They send me replacement parts as needed and it's way better than the previous robot I had. It, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you have one too, Steve, it self cleans. I, it's like once a month, I have to actually change the bag. The rollers yeah. are better so I don't have to pick cat hair out of it. Um, <laughs> uh, that being said, talk about it open, talk about it often. Mm -hmm. I know as a family, it can be difficult, especially if you're struggling to talk about finances, but I've always felt it was important for, for my son to understand, okay, if, uh, if we take a Disney World trip, this is before we lived in Florida, we can't take these two other trips. Uh, and now we'll talk about like, okay, well, we could do this, but it means we're not going to do that. We could buy a vacation home, but it means we're not going to do these 16 other things. Or, you know, maybe next year we'll, we'll only pick passes one Disney or Universal, not both. That's probably not true. We'll probably keep passes to both because we actually go quite a bit. Uh, that being said, we're going to take the comment live uh, from Martha Berry West. Uh, if you want to share that, Sam, it is a nice comment. 
A seven investing subscription would be an excellent gift for a college or high school student. This will get them on a path of investing success. Yeah, absolutely. We try to break it down and I I don't want to toot our own horn, but we try to make it not difficult and we don't worry about a lot of technicals and not that we aren't analyzing stocks and and, and looking at some of the math and some of the numbers, but we're Mm -hmm. not telling you to go break out charts and sell at a certain point. It's what I tell young people is look around your world. There's a decent chance that the companies you interact with, if they're public, are good companies you might want to own. Now, that's not always true. Like you, when it used to be a, a public company, I was not a fan of, of Dunkin' Donuts or Panera Bread uh, for different reasons. And those are both companies I used a lot. But probably eight out of 10 things in my portfolio started that way, which is like, oh, wait, my computer, my phone, and 16 other devices from my house are, are all from the same company? Like, oh yeah, that is a good investment. And I did my due diligence. I did the research. Uh, we are going to throw up the next comment from Brandon Tyler. Steve, you're welcome to read that one. Right. <clears throat> so uh, Brandon says, find companies with great products people use. Uh, we've already spoken to that. Focus on long-term charts and only invest in uptrends. Um, yeah, Steve, I want to push back on that one. I'm not sure I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think uh, sometimes. I, I, yeah, I, I you would can say see a downtrend. focus on long. Yeah, yeah. Um, go ahead, keep going. Yeah, you can see a downtrend that doesn't mean anything. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so, so there are a lot of good companies. We've talked about this multiple times. Apple put out two stellar earnings reports in a row and was down the next day. And I know down the next day isn't a trend, right. <laughs> but there are. Two companies I picked for seven investing that I think they're they're up overall, but they're not beating the S and P five hundred that have put out unbelievable earnings reports. That's why the long term part matters and the trend part doesn't matter as much. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Sam, if you want to put that back up, I stepped on it a little bit there. Yeah, I mean, I would I would definitely agree with. I'd say focus on the long term. I, I don't really pay attention to charts, uh, and I don't pay attention, to be honest, to trends. Uh, I I buy businesses at what I deem to be fairly attractive valuations. I add to those positions over time, um, so I don't mind that. And um, uh, but I, I don't really pay attention to um, near term trends. I guess it, it really depends on maybe what your uh, what's your focus is and what you're thinking long-term. We're thinking multiple years here at 7investing. Uh, and the the last part of that, if you can bring that back up, uh, is is Brandon says, finally, you're going to want to buy. And I would say maybe rephrase, you're, you're going to be tempted to buy uh, cheap penny or low dollar stocks and downtrends that either used to be great or promised or to do something you don't understand, don't do it. Uh, yes, avoid penny stocks at all costs. Uh, and, and don't think about share price. Uh, that's that's the other thing that's kind of difficult, to, and especially considering a lot of brokerages let you buy fractional shares now. Share price taken in isolation means absolutely nothing, and uh, you know just because a company traded a thousand dollars per share does not mean it is more expensive than a company that's trading at twenty dollars per share. That literally means absolutely nothing. It just depends. It's a function of how many shares they've decided to be, make available. Think in terms of dollars invested, not share price. And I will say. It's not never on penny stocks because I can think of two examples, uh, the current Sirius XM and and the former Priceline, which is is now booking, that got into penny stock territory that Mm -hmm. both had, I don't want to say definite bright futures, but you could make a strong business case 
for how those right. companies could come back. In the case of the former Sirius, it was merge with XM. And there were a lot of ways that wouldn't happen and both companies would declare bankruptcy and one would emerge, but there were roads back. So it's not a never. I'm not gonna say I will never mm-hmm. pick a, you know, a penny stock is really a stock trading below $5, but there would need to be pretty heroic, pretty unique reasons for that. So we, we, always, we tend to talk in absolutes. And it's actually something Simon Erickson, our CEO, and I have talked a lot about that we want to be careful to carve out the occasional exception, but that exception isn't some company with no assets and a, and a great website uh, that talks mm-hmm. to you about their future thing. It's, it's probably not a biotech trading for fractions of a penny that's going to you know, you know, cure all cancer. So be really, really wary. We're going to take a few more of these. We're going to throw up a few more of your questions and comments as well. If there are things you want to talk to us about that are not these topics, there is a little bit of time to do that. So feel free to jump in as well. Uh, Patrick Crocker says, uh, invest in your best vision of the future. Don't sell great ideas just because the stock went up quickly. Only sell if your right. thesis changes. Uh, math is your friend. <clears throat> $1,000 invested at 21, doubling every seven years uh, would be $128,000 at 70. Doubling every seven years might be an aggressive number, uh, but even if you go up uh, you know, roughly 9%, which is, which is the average, so if you did just mediocre every year, uh, you're still doing incredibly well over time. Steve, you're welcome to comment on any of that. Um, yeah. And actually the, that number actually, I don't think is that aggressive at all. A thousand dollars, uh, invested at 21 doubling every seven years. That's actually the average, um, if I'm not mistaken, that's about a nine and a half percent annualized return, which is about the average annual returns of the S and P 500. Um, you know, so I, I would say that's, that's appropriate. And, uh, but yes, math is, is your friend. Uh, that's the power of compounding at work. Um, and uh, yeah, I agree. Again, invest your best vision of the future. You touched on that earlier. I don't sell great ideas because the stock went up quickly. That's a big one. Um, you know, you see people like uh, Kramer, love him or hate him, uh, who will come out and you know say, hey, you know, sell once your stock doubles. You're playing with the house's money. Ugh, like that's oh. terrible advice, right? And in audible it's, drum, it's right? irresponsible. You know, mm-hmm. it, you know, because uh, yeah, and, and I mean, if I would have done that with my Tesla stake. <laughs> you know, then, then buying it a split adjusted 40 bucks a share, um, you know, I, I would have sold at 80 and missed out on uh, huge gains. And, and I would have missed out on pretty much every big game because what happens is a lot of times these stocks will run up a lot further uh, than you ever think is possible. But there are going to be cases where it pulls back and you regret not selling at higher prices. But avoid price anchoring like that because it, it just it's a, an exercise in futility. Buy and hold and uh, only sell if your thesis changes. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, there's two scenarios where I would sell. Uh, if my thesis changes or if something I own, and this has never happened, but if something I own got to be such a big part of my portfolio and still had a lot of risk, then mm-hmm. maybe I would trim some. If it's keeping you up at night, it's not worth the gains as long as you're maintaining exposure to that stock. But this is only likely to happen in a fairly new portfolio where, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, you bought one of these tech high flyers and they went up 8 billion percent. And all of a sudden, right. 60% of your portfolio is one company that's going to be very volatile. It might make sense to trim that to wherever you feel comfortable, but that's mm-hmm. not about the company. It's about being able to sleep at night. I'd argue that if you're very young, that's not that relevant because your timeline is so long that who cares if it has big, big yeah. lurching jumps. 
Um, but you never want the stock market or your portfolio or your investments to make you uncomfortable. Uh, and that's why, you know, I, I, I was, uh, I did one of those Twitter spaces, uh, with, with a couple of mutual friends over the weekend, uh, run by our friend, Max Basenko. Uh, those are really fun. So if you yeah. see me promoting one of those, feel free to, to, to jump on. Uh, and this friend of ours, uh, talked about something being 2% of his portfolio, which was a big percentage for him. That's not a big percentage for me. I'm I'm probably never going to own 140 stocks, which is I think the number he he claimed. Yeah. Uh, but I might because I keep buying things that that you guys recommend that the rest of the seven investing team recommends. Uh, we are going to take uh, one more comment from Daniel Delgado. That's the one about the 40 year olds, Sam, because uh, there's a few from Daniel there. What you know at 40 uh, years, your kid knows that knowledge at nine years if you share it. I mean, there's certainly a technical aptitude our kids are going to go up with. Like, look, I couldn't grow up and know how to how to trade online because when I grew up, there was no online. When I was in college, the only emails I sent were basically, "You have email? Wow, I have email." It was it was basically yeah. right after that 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 email became a thing, and obviously, apps and brokerages being online happened much later, and no fee trading uh, is relatively. Uh, new, but yeah, growing up with people who openly talk about investments, the world has changed. Money was something you didn't discuss at the dinner table uh, when I was a kid. Now, I think there's a lot more transparency uh, where, where where people involve kids in discussions and do things like that. Mm -hmm. Steve, how open are you with your kids? Um, what was that? Sorry, you glitched out there. Uh, how how open are you with your kids when it comes to, to finances? Oh, um I mean, I, I don't share exactly how much money we have in our checking account at any given point, but uh, I, I'm open with them and I tell them, you know, what, what certain costs like, well, you know, all right, this is what we're spending on a vacation and, and you guys need to know, you know, and they can get their, you know, the, their allowance or their accounts and see how much they have and realize, okay, you know, I've, I've got a ways to go you know, before we're there. But, um, you know, I think the, the more open, the better. And, uh, you know, with the caveat that, that they shouldn't be, like, this is how much money my dad has, you know, or like in his brokerage account or something like that. But uh, I, I think they do need to know. Um, yeah, I, to, I, to a certain I, extent. Yeah, I don't share actual numbers, but mm -hmm. we certainly uh, explained what we were doing when we sold our principal residence and, and moved to sure. a rental. Uh, and, and then bought the investment property. Uh, we've explained yeah. to, to my son why we're selling our, our our other, our first sort of modest Disney home and how that money is, is gonna be used uh, because some of that will be a, you know, a, let's call it post high school mm -hmm. fund for whatever it is he decides to pursue. Yeah. And absolutely, we'll talk about choices of, okay, we can buy these things for the house that cost a few thousand dollars, or we can make do with the old ones we have and go on six more trips. Like, so yeah. you know, I, there's absolutely some of that. Uh, David Strauss, we are going to, to field your comment at the end of the show, but I wanted to take one uh, from ZL. And I'd be curious to know how Steve feels about this, but it's, uh, I think Upwork should be mentioned today. So here's what Upwork does. Upwork is a platform for freelancers. It's a marketplace where a company can go in and say, okay, I wanna put an ad up for people to do graphic design or freelance writing or coding or, or whatever it is, find people, uh, and in theory, it's a pretty robust, thriving marketplace. I do yeah. not recommend them as an investment. And, and I'm gonna speak, for, I'm gonna try to be really careful because some of this is proprietary information, but they charge freelancers a fee. Some companies opt to pay that fee. Some companies previously had a deal with them where if they brought the worker, 
Upwork took a much different fee. Upwork has stopped doing that. So if I use their, their platform for, for paying people, for, for managing my workforce, there, there are fees for that. And now they want to take a very hefty fee for an employee, not an employee, a, a gig worker that I brought to their platform. I find as a freelancer, and I don't do any freelance, I, I do a little, I don't, I don't do much freelance work in, anymore. I do a couple of select things, mostly for fun. Um, they take 20% of the pie. That to me is, is a deal breaker. It means that any company that gets to scale on that platform is going to find a way to leave that platform unless yeah. Upwork is readily sending them people. Steve, you're welcome to jump in. You have some experience here as well. Yeah, um, Upwork wasn't bad as a platform. You know, I, we used, I used it for the better part of a decade because that's what our old employer um, would use. And, and it was it was all right. Um, I, I think it's potentially ripe for disruption, especially with that fee structure. Uh, that doesn't mean the business itself can continue to thrive as our economy pushes more toward kind of freelance careers. Um, but yeah, I'm not as convinced. What are we looking at? That's market cap, maybe a six and a half billion dollar company. So uh, I think the potential for um, market beating gains is is there. But uh, I haven't I haven't uh, delved too deep into the stock itself. Uh, it just hasn't quite crack my so, top 10 every month when I when I kind of consider stocks to recommend instead of investing. But. So let, let, let me compare it to Etsy. Etsy has mm-hmm. maintained a rigid focus that their customer is the creator. Upwork doesn't right. feel that way. If you're taking that type of percentage, and, and again, I'm going to be very vague because I don't want to give away any trade secrets here, but when I was working with, with them, I, I was actually the liaison to Upwork on a project. And yeah. when that thing came out with the fees, we said, well, we're a big customer. In fact, we might be your biggest customer. We should negotiate this so we don't leave your platform. And they said, our focus is on raising our bottom line this year. That is a really terrible way to talk to your customers. So look, not every company we invest in are we gonna have firsthand knowledge, but if I've dealt with the company and actually worked with them and found their their method of problem solving uh, and dealing with their constituents to be pretty bad, you know, look, if you find me a gig, I might be willing to pay you 10, 15%. 20% seems like an awful lot. But if you don't find me a gig, should I have to pay that or split it with my employer or get less work because, because you're taking your, your cut? Um, it's not a particularly high tech service. I think they're leaving themselves open to disruption from, you know, I'm actually not sure why LinkedIn doesn't move in or, or do more of this there. There's a lot of yeah. other ways to hire gig workers. Um, you, know, you know, the other one people will ask us about is, is Fiverr and look, I use Fiverr, but I don't think professionals generally operate on Fiverr. Fiverr is the place you get your logo done as a placeholder before you hire a professional to, to do your logo. And, and I don't want to disparage any professionals who are working on Fiverr, but when you build your business around $5, and I understand that everything doesn't cost $5 there anymore, but low cost, you're going to have people just churning stuff out. And there's a place for it, but I question the growth strategy. Steve, anything on Fiverr as I, as I bury these two companies, which I apologize <laughs> for the people who use these platforms. No, I, I don't really have any uh, informed thoughts on Fiverr. I, it's a stock I haven't seriously considered uh, personally, I'll admit. Uh, Doris and Renee Cannell, we will say hello back to you. Uh, we appreciate the audience chiming in with comments. It was awfully quiet at the beginning there. Uh, ZL says, I'm a grandfathered annual member 
uh, and it feels good. I locked in the annual rate. Thank you for doing that. Uh, and please, this is the time. If you want to buy a subscription for uh, someone who's still in school, send an email to info at seveninvesting.com and we will share that info with you as soon as it becomes live. Right now, you can't pre-buy those due, due to some of the quirks. I don't actually know why. You can't pre-buy buy those, uh, but you can get on the list and we will make sure we get those subscriptions uh, active as soon as the changeover happens. And this is now where we want you to be our advocates. Take to Twitter, take to Facebook, take to your Instagram, your MySpace, your TikTok, whatever it is. Get those yep. referral codes out there. I'm, I'm not sure what a seven investing TikTok would look like, but I would love to see it. We appreciate so many of you playing along. Steve, we're going to turn back to the world of work as we hit our finisher. Uh, for a, a Father's Day weekend, this was a really busy poll if you want to share it, Sam Bailey. Uh, how do you feel about going back to an office? About 27% are miserable. About 16% said, I can't wait. 41.7% uh, said part-time is great. Uh, and 15.2% uh, said, I quit. Uh, so overwhelmingly, I think it's fair to say people don't want to go back full-time. I will right. share that, that our friend and, and viewer and occasional guest Max Lucas shared that as someone younger, he was really excited to get back to the office because of all the opportunities to learn. I'd actually make that argument too. I used to talk to young freelance writers and tell them, I understand you think you want this. You won't appreciate it until you've had a bad job and worked in an office or even a good job that had the constraints of having to be in an office. Uh, so yeah. I'd actually argue that at least being part-time in the office, having those lunches and meetings and in-person is important. Um, but Steve, do you think we're going to see a wave of people quitting their job because they don't want to go back? Um, I, I wouldn't say a wave, uh, maybe a ripple uh, of, of people quitting their job uh, that they don't want to come back. And, you know, it's it's hard for me to speak to this uh, because I, I've sort of been <laughs> spoiled, right? Uh, just just working from home for a decade, and uh, you know, and had the option not to go back to the office. But I, I do miss the camaraderie of being able to see people in person on a, a regular basis. Uh, and, and there is, you know, to to some extent, like this. Um, that, that we have uh, Zoom meetings, live streams and stuff to be able to talk to, to everybody. You know, I, we launched Seven Investing in March of 2020 and uh, I haven't seen any of you in person since then, um, in part because of the pandemic, but it would be really nice, you know, to have an office space. And uh, it is, there are underappreciated aspects of the job, but there are also, you know, very uh, office series-esque moments that, that are derived from, uh, from from working in an office space, and uh, I, I would say the 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 good far outweighs the bad uh, of work at home. We've all managed to build close relationships uh, despite not seeing each other. Obviously, a lot of us knew each other beforehand, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, aside from Matt Cochran, you were all in my world. Obviously, uh, Dana yeah. Abramovitz new to this, uh, but you weren't like my close friends who I sat with at at, at events. We, we we all definitely yeah. knew knew each other and, and spoke. Um, but we've managed to build those bonds. That being said, it's difficult to do. I'm going to a wedding in July uh, with a former colleague. And, and that former colleague started as someone I worked with, did the occasional podcast with. I learned that he lived near the hotel I stayed at. So that became, hey, it's easy for me to get in the building if you pick me up on your way into work, which became let's get a beer after after work, which became dinner, which now became, oh my God, I'm going to his wedding. Like this is my actual close, you know, close friend. And I do think some of that is a lot easier when we have an office, especially at bigger companies, especially uh, when we don't all uh, 
you know, when we, we, we don't all see each other, uh, you know, on a normal basis. Sorry, I tripped over that, trying to read the last comment we're going to take here from Roman M., uh, who I assume, well, I won't say his real name. Uh, I'm really hey, looking Roman. forward uh, to getting back to an office and having a commute again. I, I understand that logic, um, but I also think everyone's going to appreciate not having to always go to the office. See, I know as a parent, it can be very frustrating if, for example, um, you know, you're your company's requiring you to go to the office, even on a day where like your kid has a school play that afternoon that they'll let you lead for. I think there's gonna be a ton more flexibility there. I wanna share the comment uh, from David Strauss uh, earlier earlier today. Uh, Dan, I'll be in October, I'll be in Orlando in October and I'd love to buy your beer if you're not on a cruise at that time. Uh, Steve, I'd make you the same offer, but God only knows when I'll be in Montana. Uh, so. So yes, uh, any members, uh, let me know if you're going to be in, in, in West Palm Beach, if you're going to be in, in the Orlando area. I'll, I'll tell you right now, David, I am on a cruise uh, the week of my birthday. I'm on the allure of the seas for seven days uh, because a, a close friend of mine is the guitarist uh, on there. And, and we're going to hang out for my birthday week, which I am very, very excited about, but happy to come up to Orlando, if, especially if someone is offering to buy me a drink. Uh, Steve, anything else you'd like to share before we close out the show? No, I, I'm good. Thanks for having me. This was fun. We appreciate the large pickup in comments on the show. We're going to be back Wednesday. Um, not sure what we'll be doing on Wednesday's show. Uh, on Friday's show, I'm going to be joined at the top by Simon Erickson. Uh, we're going to do some live news. We're going to do, do, do some, some hot topics, whatever it is. And then we're going to finish the show with Anurban Mahante uh, that I'm going to tape Thursday night. So if there's something you want to know about the world of international investing, hit us up at 7investing on Twitter. We are very easy to get a hold of. And of course, if you want to shoot us an email, uh, and that could be getting on the list to, to, for the new subscription uh, for, for, for uh, anyone who's currently enrolled in school, uh, that could be for questions about the service, questions about referral codes, whatever it is, that is info at 7investing. Until Wednesday, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Sam Bailey behind the glass. Thank you all for watching. Steve will get back to his vacation. We will see you on Wednesday. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.